This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Coco. I'm Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor in chief at Voice of San Diego. I'm glad to be back and joined, as always, by the managing editor, Andrea Lopez Villafaña. What's up, Lopez? Hey, Luis. Reporter Jacob McQuinney is here. What's up, Jacob? Hey, Scott. So how do you feel? Is it good to be back? (laughs) Yes. Thanks. Uh, (laughs) Very good. Coming up on the show this week, we'll run through a few updates, like what's going on at community colleges and what's going on with former county supervisor Nathan Fletcher. There are some fascinating filings to talk about in his case. And one of the races I'm most interested in is the race for San Diego City Attorney in 2024. Yeah, prepare to be enthralled by the future of the city's legal division. If haters get their way, it may never be the same. That's all coming up. Stay with us. But first, we have a big goal. We need your help. We're aiming to sign up 100 new voice members by September 18th. That is less than a week away, just a few days away. So please, if you value this or anything else we do at Voice San Diego, please contribute at voiceofsandiego.org slash podpeople, vosd.org slash podpeople. That's vosd.org slash podpeople. Members get access to events throughout the year, discounts to our big annual summit, PolitiFest. We're excited to see how that's coming together this year. And when you give, you can write a note that our whole team sees. So, Andrea, help me read these. You do the first one. I'll do the second one. Such. Nice, nice. Okay, so this one's... No, wait. I'll do the first one. You do the second oh, one. Oh, okay. All right. This one's from Stephen Miller. Love the podcast. Looking for a special episode to bring back Sarah, Rye, Maya, Andy, Liam, and even Adrian Florido. Shout out to Rolando Village. Okay, shout out. Who's the, I, I recognize all those names except for the one in the middle. Andy, is there? Yeah, I don't know that guy. That's R.I.P. <laughs> uh, thank you, Stephen. All right, here you go. Okay, this one's from Christopher Kelly. I am obsessed with the morning report and Scott's podcast. <laughs> Scott's podcast. Yeah, I think we have to take offense to that one. Uh-uh. Christopher, unacceptable. Christopher with the K. <laughs> you see how I engineered so that you had to read that? Yeah, one? yeah, yeah. See, I, I would have just read the first part. Said he's obsessed with the morning report. Uh, he's obsessed with the morning report and podcast. So I know, <laughs> I, I know, Christopher. Thank you. 
Yes, I, I do know I am a big presence here, but we, we can't forget the other contributors. No one even noticed you were gone. <laughs> they did. I think, Scott, you missed the podcast more than the podcast missed you. Oh, oh. no, that's not true. No, I, that, was, that was a little harsh. I'm sorry. I did, I did. Christopher just put a bad taste in my mouth. I understand. All right. Heather Noss says, the podcast enriches my week. Thank you, Heather. Okay, Shelby Gomez says, I love the podcast. It's my favorite source for local civic news. All right, well, join them. Send us a note at vost.org slash podpeople. That's vost.org slash podpeople. Mention the show and we may thank you as well. Lopez, you just said you got back from Boston, and one of the things you liked was the ability to get around the city on public transit. Yeah. Uh, were you able to pay for the transit with your easily with your phone or whatever? With my credit card. Actually, they have an app, but I really struggled to understand how to navigate that, so I yeah. instantly dropped that. And I just went to their pay station, which is, you know, they're all located in their trolley areas yeah. or their T. And um, yeah, super easy. Just select a, you know, trolley pass and you put your credit card up to it and then you just get your little sticker thing. So we've written and covered how odd the city or the Metropolitan Transit Systems Pronto Pass is and how difficult it, it has been for many people to use mm -hmm. to load value on that and then actually spend it. So that the the trolley fares are collected and they get the revenue that they expect. They have a huge revenue decline because people just don't know or aren't using the system. <laughs> Jacob, cough, you, Jacob. <laughs> you acknowledge that as a regular, regular rider of the trolley, you would never have done I, it. I cannot believe that you're calling me out in this aggressive fashion, but <laughs> but yes. Um, I ride the trolley to, to school from the office and I ride it fairly frequently. And to be honest, I, I just thought there was like something magical going on. And I, I you know, you walk <laughs> in and it just like takes money off your thing. Or, or really what I thought was that the, you, you only get charged when, you know, trolley people, the trolley oh, yeah, cops yeah. come on and, and uh -huh. check if you've paid and then they scan your thing. And I was like, this is a really inefficient system. I mean, there, there are a whole lot of times that I'm on this trolley that I don't get charged. And then I, I talked to, to Mac. And our she, environment reporter. Our, our environment reporter, Mackenzie Elmer. And she informed me that I was actually sorely mistaken and had been trolley hopping for years of my, <laughs> my life. Um, I, I kind of love that. I, I just paid for the trolley for the first time um, about a month ago. And it, <laughs> it, you know, I, I felt so much better about myself. I could feel like the, the yeah, the like years of of cardinal sin just kind of washing <laughs> off of my body. You know. <laughs> well, we do have an update. So we did some reporting. Mackenzie did some reporting about how much people hate the Pronto system and how difficult it was for them to use, and how the transit system was suffering pretty significantly because of that. Well, they announced today uh, that the board had voted and the option to pay for transit fare directly with a physical card or smart device enabled with credit cards uh, was considered and they decided to do it. Uh, but they first have to work with, get this, uh, the MTS, California Integrated Travel Project, fare system vendor, INIT, credit card gateway provider, NMI, and payment processor, Chase, to discuss the most viable way to introduce open payment methods for riders. So that's the big news. So soon <laughs> you'll be able to use Apple Pay. Not soon. After they work with all of those. This sounds like a veritable like blue ribbon committee. <laughs> yeah, they got to go through 
That's what it takes. You got to have somebody who processes the payment, who rec- who does the payment, and then the credit card company, and then there, there's just like a, a whole chain of, of people that take a little bit off the off the fare. Wow, yeah. I take like the topping for granted. Yeah, for everything I use. Yeah. Then. Wow. Yeah. Well, well, we can look forward to paying with Apple Pay in the year 2035. <laughs> Very exciting. Well, one thing Jacob also knows a lot about is the community college system, and he had an interesting update this week. What was going on with uh, competency-based degrees? Yeah, so this is a new kind of degree that community colleges are trying out. They they created this sort of pilot program in 2021 and uh, solicited essentially applications from community colleges across the state. Uh, Eight were accepted, and one of them is right here in our backyard, Southwestern College. Uh, They essentially pitched the state on a a competency-based degree in automotive technology, which uh, once you hear about this degree, it's kind of this match made in in heaven, right? So basically, competency-based degrees... uh, Well, here, let me ask you, Scott. Uh, Would you like to earn a degree without necessarily stepping foot in a classroom once, not doing homework. Uh, I've been thinking for a while I'm due an honorary degree. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) On what? Like an honorary doctorate or something. (laughs) (laughs) On what? What institution would you choose? I think like San Diego State or somebody should give it to me by now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) SDSU, uh, are you paying, if you're paying attention, Adela Delatore? Because... I've learned a lot about the city and I've helped people understand it for a long time now. And I think like that's worth something. I would support that. Would you? That's legit. You know, yeah. I, the, the, I mean, I know they only give it to people who like contribute to the university <laughs> or otherwise make the world better. And maybe I don't qualify, but I do think I've done enough studying and research of this community to warrant significant recognition. So I, I have I to. I can't even say it without looking myself <laughs> You, you are, I. You you got so deeply into this that I legitimately thought you were serious. I, I am. Was... <laughs> he is, but he's afraid to admit how much he is. <laughs> <laughs> that was very Andy well, of me. <laughs> it is. It, it's true. I think you're right. I'm sorry. Who? How am I doing, Andy? <laughs> R.I.P. <laughs> uh, okay. Anyway, so I don't think about him anymore. <laughs> anyway, so I don't com- even know who I'm talking about. <laughs> okay, so competency-based degrees. The idea is essentially to create a degree that that is more flexible and speaks to kind of the needs of working students, which that's kind of a lot of the student base of community colleges, working students, they may have families, they may not be right out of high school and have all the time in the world to, to be sitting in classrooms all day. And so with these kinds of degrees, basically all you need to do is prove that you are competent in all of the sort of um, fields that that encompass an associate degree, right? So there are four general education fields at, at Southwestern, uh, like language and rationality, natural sciences, that kind of general ed stuff, and then the um, automotive degree major pathway. And what that essentially looks like is taking a bunch of assessments. Sometimes it may be a written assessment. Sometimes it may be an exam. In the case of, of automotive technology, you walk in there and you can have to prove that you can like change oil and realign tires and and you know change transmission fluid i don't know if any of those things are real car things i'm not (laughs) i'm not a car guy but uh what this means is that for some people like for example you know scott he's a big car guy he's been working on cars for 30 years Uh right uh he could walk into the class and already 
pretty much know how to do all this stuff. And so w one of the things that these degree programs try to really incorporate is to um, give people credit for past learning, whether it happened in a classroom or outside of a classroom. And and it's a it's a really interesting concept. And what does it do, though? Why would you want that? Like what, I mean, it'd be cool to say, like, you got an associate, is that it? It helps you get further opportunities? It's, it, it is just an associate degree, right? I mean, there, w one of the things that, that community colleges have long been saying is that the requirements to work in different fields have slowly shifted and require more uh, education. That was one of the reasons why they really wanted to push um, the bachelor's degree programs, mm -hmm. right? Uh, 10 years ago, uh, you didn't need a bachelor's degree. You could you have an associate's degree to work in the audiology field, right? Mm -hmm. But now you do need a bachelor's degree. And the only places that had audiology programs were, were uh, community colleges for a while. And so this is a similar kind of thing. The, the kind of uh, degree requirements are higher. And also, again, they're trying to ensure that, that students that they cater to, uh, maybe older students who are busier or juggling life, uh, have the opportunity to get these degrees in a flexible manner that kind of speaks, meets them where they're at. That's one of the things that Randy Beach, the uh, uh, competency-based education co-lead at, at Southwestern told me, which is, um, you know, this is ultimately, this is an equity-minded initiative that, that tries to, to not mold uh, students into being who the university wants them to be, but but to mold education into being what those students need. On the other hand, I, I mean, if they're just rubber stamping that person's life uh, gain skill, does it really actually give them an education? The, that's a that's a good question. Uh, you know, they uh, the southwestern folks have told me that there it is a rigorous program, mm -hmm. right? W whereas you can get all of your units and spend all these all this time in class and pass through your you know pass through college and get your degree with only C's these assessments which are flexible and um uh you know uh, designed for each of these requirements you have to pass them with essentially an 80% Got it. uh rate of competency which is higher than than you know the C requirement for for other classes and so it, it it's is like an institution validating somebody's life skills that they've built up right and allowing that validation to maybe help them achieve other things that they want to get true yeah but there is an educational element right so there there are online modules that they can go through if they need more experience yeah. they, they can there are teachers there that help them walk through this process um, but at the same time it is as you said validating the life experience that these students have you know there are a lot of students that you know may come into this process and know nothing about automotive technology while there are others who may be looking for a certification or a degree that that helps them further their career and um, they, or their due honor <laughs> or their or as in Scott's case their due honor and one of the things that you know uh, uh, Brian Palmiter who is an automotive technology professor at Southwestern told me is that this allows this flexible program allows teachers to spend more time with students who need more help while the other students who may already kind of ha have a leg up uh, are able to move through this process quickly and so it, it is a process that allows people to move as quickly or as slowly as they like it's I mean it's it's pretty interesting in another example like with the bachelor's degrees of, of community colleges doing work that I think is super interesting and and forward-looking and you know I, I yes I'm I'm biased as someone who <laughs> went to a community college and really enjoyed that experience. You can see Jacob's latest edition of The Learning Curve, where that story is at bosd.org slash learning. bosd.org slash learning. Learning Curve is a twice-monthly newsletter about local education.
so I remain disoriented by how fast Nathan Fletcher dropped out of public life. And I feel like people aren't really contemplating just how shocking that whole thing was. So dial back, we had Nathan Fletcher, and he was the most prominent Democrat in the region, which made him the most prominent politician in the region. Uh, He had just been through the pandemic where he was the face of the county's response to the pandemic, and the county had the most robust and important government role in the pandemic in San Diego. He was, he was just, he was planning to run for state Senate. He, he launched his campaign. He was all, he was just everywhere. He was the most coveted endorsement that you could get as a democratic official running for office. And then the, this, he just disappeared. He just vanished. I, I can't, I just, it's, it's so weird because the others we've dealt with, we've seen people in scandals and they, they, you know, they claw and cling to power for a while. Sometimes they even survive. Kevin Beiser remained on the, on the board of education for San Diego Unified for years <laughs> after the scandal that, that they, they used to demand that he resign. His colleague, all of them demanded that he resign. He's like, nah, <laughs> but Fletcher, remember, remember how I went? he, he says he's going to seek treatment. He gets a bunch of praise for it. Then we find out that he's being accused by a woman of sexually assaulting and harassing him uh, when he was chairman of MTS and she was uh, a communications specialist there. And then the lawsuit hits and he's gone. And never once, not once, did he say anything or have a press conference or give an interview or do anything more than like a prepared statement from his attorney. And I just think that's like, it's like fascinating for somebody to be that prominent in local public affairs and then just vanish. It it does seem to demonstrate an impressive level of self-control, which given everything else we know about Nathan Fletcher is, is interesting. And <laughs> yeah, like that he's decided I'm going to just go take care of myself and my family and I'm just going to leave. Mm-hmm. and never show up again no like not not even a sighting of him going to get his stuff nothing just like complete vanished so we've been all waiting to see like what shows up and the only thing we have are these court filings that occurred and so so a couple weeks ago we learned that they were having a dispute about instagram so dial back remember that the scandal is that this woman grecia figueroa was interacting with Nathan on Instagram. Nathan Fletcher, uh, she says, was pursuing her or sort of stalking her or lurking over her profile. And um, they began an exchange on Instagram that became um, what she says were uh, uh, violent or bullying sexual encounters and where he says were consensual interactions, Right. And so the Instagram messages are really important. In her initial complaint, she lists a few of them where he, you know, asks her to come over and does different things to indicate how much he's into her. Um, So he, his attorneys, requested or subpoenaed Meta, the uh, umbrella company that uh, owns Instagram and asks for all of the messages. 
She and her attorneys filed a response quashing, asking to quash that subpoena because they say it's overly broad and would include you know, other personal data about her that's not fair. Now, he says, well, we would have, uh, we're willing to limit the scope. Uh, she says, well, then you should have do a new subpoena. And he's like, no, we don't want to do it. It's just this fight about Instagram. And then this week, we got a, another update. So another filing was put in the system. NBC first noticed it. Uh, we uh, got a hold of it too. And it, it lists out his response. And it was his first real response to the accusations more in detail, right? Basically, he says, well, she praised my looks. She gave me gifts. She initiated contact. You know, she's, and a lot of this would come out if we could get these messages. Um, and she asked he wear specific things yeah, or something yeah. that was mentioned. Uh, so, but the main thing, and I think a big, probably a majority of, of the details in, the, in this filing were about his demand that she and her attorneys remove references to his wife, Lorena Gonzalez in the complaint that they're that she's basically like you only mentioned my wife to embarrass her and to bring her into this she had no part of this now remember Grecia Figueroa argues that she Lorena Gonzalez participated in threats uh, against her after all this was filed now I forgot a key part of this Grecia Figueroa alleges that she was fired without any warning in February, and uh, there was no performance review or performance improvement plan or anything about her performance. She was just fired, and she couldn't help but figure out that the only reason she could possibly be experiencing this is because of this experience she'd been having with Nathan Fletcher. Right, and her firing coincided with his announcement that he was running for state senate. Right, right? and so implied in that is that well he had her fired um now i've never assumed that that had to be the case like she they mts leaders could have easily fired her for maybe they felt like she was becoming a distraction or a problem or or just maybe they really do have a performance file on her we've never gotten anything they did release something saying she was fired for performance purposes or reasons but we've never seen any evidence to to substantiate that, right? Right. Now, so in his response, Nathan Fletcher says, well, I could not have had anything to do with her firing because I was just chairman of the board. I had no say over her employment or her pay or her, you know, I couldn't fire her or anything like that, which I think is fine. But again, I don't think there's ever been an implication that like he himself fired her I think that the the idea has always been that she, or the accusation has been that she felt compelled to respond to his overtures because he was so powerful in the agency that she was employed at and that she was suddenly fired for no particular reason. So how does that not add up? And then if there is performance issues, you could also say like, maybe if the chairman of the agency you work at is is sexually assaulting you it might hurt your performance but all of that said we all we've got is that he says i couldn't have fired her 
stop talking about my wife and she was on she was into me that's the biggest takeaway i would so uh that's where we're at with that case now the big question remain there's sort of two big questions that remain one is did the most powerful politician in san diego sexually assault a woman who worked at the agency where he chaired the board that seems like a big question i don't know if we'll ever get an answer to that that's definitive this, the second big question is, why did MTS fire her? They've still, they did an independent investigation. They commissioned one months ago. I don't know what it takes to look into this. All you need to do is look and see, were there documents that <laughs> led to her performance evaluation getting to the point where they needed to be, uh, they needed to fire her. All you have to do is tell us that. Now, the reason they're not, obviously, is because she's suing and they don't want to, you know, give her anything that would help them lose that case. But I think, and I think it's fair to say that they owe the public an accounting of why they fired this woman. And that if there are people who fired her for no reason other than whatever entanglement she was in with this man, then that might be something that a public would care about. If they're leading this agency that provides so much service and employs so many people, including so many women. Right. Like I, I, you can't just hide behind a lawsuit for months without the, the accounting that might be due there. And that would mean, I think that there's probably information that the board has now based on this investigation or other things that they could make a determination about whether the leadership deserves to continue doing that. Yeah. And it's worth pointing out that their initial quote unquote investigation was going to be their response to the lawsuit. Right. And then eventually they It decided. wasn't until our reporting, I, who did that? <laughs> Shut <laughs> up, Andrew Keats. <laughs> uh, that, that established that they needed to do something, that they weren't doing an independent investigation. And then they later committed to that. And so we're still waiting to see what that is. But Meanwhile, the same people running the agency have been running the agency now for five more months or whatever and could be rotting the same terrible management style since then or could be validated that they deserve that this this woman did deserve to get booted. So I would like some clarity, Jacob. <laughs> well, I mean that's that's why you are are do your honorary doctorate. <laughs> Honorary doctorate in, in clarity seeking. So we also tried to figure out what happened to him at UC San Diego. You asked for some documents on that. All they said is he's no longer employed at UC San Diego as a, as a professor of practice. Uh, the professor of practice is that where they let people who don't have um, <laughs> traditional uh, doctorates uh, because of their experience oh, wow. are allowed mm -hmm. to um, teach and he is no longer employed there. Mm -hmm. um, I would guess that if he's not employed there, they, they didn't have to go through the big process that it would take to fire uh, a teacher or a professor. And so he might have just uh, stepped away. Yeah, yeah. We, we requested documents about any sort of complaints that, that occurred. And, and we did get one back that, that, was, uh, that came in around the time that all of this was going down and it seems to be the, the the woman that spoke to San Diego Vale and NBC around that time um, and ultimately the university responded to that woman's complaint 
saying that they'd closed the investigation because Nathan Fletcher was no longer employed there. Hmm. And, it, and it only would have been a, an administrative disciplinary investigation. So if he's not employed, they, there's no administrative discipline to, to, to land yeah, or hand there's out. There's no reason to figure out what might have happened in the past to your students. <laughs> that is that is certainly a troubling... Um, it's, just, it's <laughs> a very troubling response. It is, yeah, yeah. And it, uh, it's, it's very surprising. We're good, he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> right, like yeah. with the same thing, I mean, like this is super, very different, but, you know, in the case of the high school student who alleged that she was um, raped by San Diego State football players, some of those kids weren't, or some of those students weren't even students at San Diego State University anymore. Yeah. Right? Um, but is that worth not investigating? I right. don't know. That's kind of weird. I think that's a weird response. No, I, I definitely, I mean, that that, that the is teacher's what... gone, so... Peace. It's definitely it's an interesting response, and I, I mean I guess w one that makes sense from OPHD's perspective, which is their office of uh, for the prevention of harassment and discrimination. But at the same time, I, I think that not only that that student, but but all students at UCSD and San Diego, the San Diego community at, at large, deserves to know what what happened there. Right, it's a student claims to be sexually assaulted or harassed by a professor the professor's gone and so okay sorry we can't yeah. do anything about it and and there was an interesting element to to her her complaint which she sent to OPHD which is the 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 office at UCSD that handles these sorts mm -hmm. of complaints she 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 wrote that she had spoken to somebody at the sexual assault resource center at UCSD about this years earlier um, but was unaware that it essentially just op offered therapeutic services and did not um, sort of open investigations into into individuals who who have allegations of sexual assault against against them, which is, uh, I, I mean, I can imagine from her perspective that that's very baffling. She basically emailed saying, "I reported this to Sark in 2015 or something like that," and they never opened an investigation. I never heard anything back, mm -hmm. um, and so it's that, just the wrong door. Exactly. She she went to the to the right building and knocked on the wrong door and. They didn't. They didn't help her. They didn't. Mm -hmm. They didn't forward that investigation to any or that that complaint to anybody who had the power to open an investigation. So, I, I think regardless of whether or not you know UCSD wants to hide behind the this is only could have been an administrative uh, discipline investigation. There should be more clarity there. Yeah, I mean, again, there's like another comparison to the SDSU thing, right? Mm -hmm. With the with exactly. the dad of the student who had gone to San Diego State Police and had made a report of this assault that occurred um, on his daughter. And basically, like, because San Diego Police Department was already investigating, it was no longer something that campus police could investigate. But, no. you know, he didn't know that, you know, that him talking to campus police didn't couldn't really do anything, you know, so he kind of felt like, you know, what happened here? The school dropped the ball, but yeah. the school said, well, we... You know, we were following, you know, the sort of procedure that happens because the complaint was made with the local police first before yeah. our campus police. So. And, you know, I think it's just another example of these Byzantine procedures that get in the mm -hmm. way of, of, of Scott's beloved clarity and, and honestly clarity that we all deserve. Well, I'll be following that and we'll be keeping updates going in the morning report. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. 
Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. So when we were preparing for this, uh, did you guys, had you guys already known how what the city attorney does at the city of San Diego? Um attorney activities right <laughs> they 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 go around probably i imagine a briefcase of some sort you know what so, like it's hard <laughs> so the san diego city attorney is um uh, elected it's an elected office and it serves two roles so of this in the city of san diego the city attorney provides attorney services to the city so the city is itself a corporation and the city attorneys it's kind of you know general counsel provides uh, lawsuit advice. If somebody threatens it, it it's there. It, if it goes to court, it's there. It hires attorneys if it doesn't have them in staff. And then uh, it has a whole separate division, a criminal division. And the city of San Diego is the only city, the only part of the San Diego County where the it handles its own misdemeanor prosecutions. The district attorney handles all the other prosecutions across the county of San Diego, but within the city of San Diego's boundaries, misdemeanors are handled by the city attorney. And so it has a criminal division to handle those, and it has the civil division to handle all the other advice and litigation and other things it does for the city of San Diego. Now, as an elected official, it's kind of unique. And about almost 20 years ago, oh, that's crazy. Uh, a a guy running for that office, Mike Aguirre, started to make the case that the person who took this job needed to stop seeing the city as its as that as their client, and to start seeing the public as their client. That they're an elected city attorney, and so the the real client is the people that voted for this person. Yeah, and thus and that was a really interesting interpretation and an innovative one in good and bad ways uh, and caused a lot of controversy because he started to threaten city officials that he would sue them or even prosecute them or otherwise uh, you know, do things that they didn't want to do. He recognized that as a city attorney, he could do a lot of things. He could control a lot of things. A lot of things needed his signature that he was willing to withhold or otherwise uh, challenge the things that were going through, bonds that they wanted to issue, uh, different um, ideas they wanted to go on. He realized that this city attorney's role could be truly independent because 
it doesn't answer to anybody but the voters. Mm-hmm. Now, the city of San Diego, like I said, is a big corporation and it needs a lawyer. And so people who ran the city were like, ah, we need a lawyer to do lawyer things for us. And we need to be able to talk. Look at how many times we talk to lawyers, right? right? Can you the imagine? The way we want it done. Right? Yeah. Like we, we need to talk to people about to, to, who have our interests in mind so that we can go through these processes. So it caused a lot of controversy. Now, he was thrown out of office, but the next city attorney to come in also kind of acted independently and also frustrated the leadership of the city. And then this city attorney came in, Mara Elliott, and she promised, look, I'm going to be the one who is just fully, you know, the attorney for the city and you're not going to see me much. And then she started acting independently and she recognized the power that the organization had and that, that as an independent elected official made her more powerful in a different way. And that and that caused a lot of angst as well. And so once again, another idea has come up to take away the power of the city attorney to provide the advice and civil function of that office. And the uh, ballot measure could go on the ballot that would take away that part of the, the city attorney's job description and give that to an appointed city attorney and instead, and then leave a, an elected city attorney just to do the misdemeanor prosecutions, which is bananas because they should just, if they're at that point, they should just give the misdemeanor prosecutions to the district attorney and let them handle it all. But, they're a little scared of getting rid of the the entire city uh, attorney's office in general. So that's happening right now. Now, at the same time, there are two attorneys running for that job. City attorney Mara Elliott is termed out at the end of next year. And so they want people to, there are people running. Uh, her chief deputy city attorney, Heather Ferber, is running for that seat. But also running for that seat is Assemblyman Brian Mainshine. Now, he ran in the past, didn't go so well. He's an attorney. He's, he hasn't practiced attorney stuff for a long time, but they did get a ruling or have an opinion that said it's cool. You're still an attorney. You can have just, that. Just rusty, right? Just, just rusty. <laughs> oh, question. So there's a ballot measure, or they're, they're trying to get... Yeah. A measure. Yeah, so the city council the would ballot. put the measure on the ballot. Yeah. If that happens, what happens to the race? Well, that would go at the same time, so it would it would probably have a future implementation date. So oh, okay. it wouldn't just trans- that person would would still take over the office. But that person is. would have. They were like, just starting to. I run. love the idea of like people stepping into this office and like filling up with the power. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> no, it's true. You, know? you can you can see it happen. You can see a person running for city attorney and they're like, hey, how are you? Handing out flyers. <laughs> Is that your city and, attorney Or voice? calling a lot. Mike Aguirre used to call a lot. And then he disappeared. And then he was city attorney. He had this like phalanx of like entourage <laughs> walking with him. And he's got these, you know, shine shoes and he's walking. You can see the ego be fulfilled. Just for like once. imbued with the power yeah. of the dark crystal. Right. <laughs> I feel like I would be good for and that job. Mara Elliott went in. through the same thing. I remember her just sort of humbly handing out flyers outside the city attorney's office on her break. And then, you know, she becomes the city attorney. And it just, it does. It, it You become a, a different being mm. in, in public like life. Me. I'm just like a reporter writing stories. But then you became managing Can, editor. managing editor. Yeah, you got that the business the jacket suits. you wear. Yeah. <laughs> God, it would be, it would just be so funny if, you know, 
obviously this won't happen, but if that measure passes and all of a sudden in the middle of the camp, like in the middle of the campaign or something, and these two, these two candidates have to like decide if they want to be the totally broke, powerless city attorney. Now. I think it would be on the same ballot. Yeah, I, so, I know, but, but yeah. it would be funny. I mean, you we can win laugh about there, that possibility. You win, right? but, the de- but the voters decide you don't deserve the whole office <laughs> yeah. that you're yeah. you, you just get dominion over misdemeanors. Like, damn. <laughs> so this race is interesting because Mainshine, remember, he was a Republican and he was in the assembly. He left the Republican Party, immediately became a Democrat, started caucusing with the Democrats. Then he ran, went through a campaign the Republicans were like, "Dude, why'd you do that?" <laughs> and and he and he runs as a Democrat against a, a Republican challenger. He wins that race. He's feeling good. They love him. They're giving him everything. Mayor Todd Gloria has endorsed him. The county Democratic Party's endorsed him. The labor unions are mostly with him. But then there's Heather Ferbert, who's running as the chief deputy city attorney. Now that when you put it on the ballot. Mara Elliott ran for city attorney as the chief deputy city attorney, and she was facing two better funded, arguably better known candidates with more endorsements than her. But she won, I think you could say mostly or at least in a big part because the title of her right next to her name was chief deputy city attorney. I think voters looked at that and were like, well, she's the chief deputy attorney. She's probably her turn. And, it's a city attorney. Yeah. <laughs> and so she wins that. Now, the now so Heather Ferbert doesn't have any of these endorsements, doesn't have anything, but she does have that title. She also has the, the consultant, it's the same consultant who ran Mara Elliott's campaign, Dan Rottenstrike. And she just got the endorsement a few weeks ago of the Municipal Employees Association. That's the largest union of city employees. And they, they're into it and pushing it. So I don't think, despite all the heavyweight support he has, that she um, is, a, is at all, um, you know, doesn't have a chance here. So we will see what happens with that. I'd love but, a debate of these people. Oh, we'll do that for sure. Yeah. Um, but this week, I learned that Mainshine also had a campaign open for attorney general in 2030. Mainshine for attorney general in 2030. Now, the attorney general is the most prominent attorney in the state, does criminal prosecutions, and represents the state on a civil uh, level as well. And he's he's got to he's got to sort of get his wheels or his his bearings again with the attorneyship, and 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 then he's going to go for the attorney general. 2030. So 2030 is seven years from now. Yeah. I will be well into my 50s. That's oh my gosh. TikTok has an aging filter now you can put on. It's creepy. <laughs> but I, I'll be okay. I look like Tom Hanks. <laughs> I look like Tom Hanks. <laughs> Honorary doctorate in Tom Hanks. So um, 2030, he has this campaign committee open. So I ask him, I'm like, what is that for? So he has two choices. One, he can say, well, I am running for city attorney, but this is where I want to run in the Mm -hmm. future. Or he can say, no, I'm not interested in running for that in the future. Then why are you raising money into this campaign? Because he is right now raising money into this campaign for attorney general in 2030. 2030. Seven years from now. So I asked him and his, his staff, his longtime aide, Lance Whitmont responded that, yeah, he'd be up for running for attorney general, for sure. 
it For sounds sure. the, the way that's phrased it makes it think that how he said it it makes it sound like you're the one who came up with the idea it's like well, you, you created the fund yeah yeah, yeah exactly like, <laughs> that's a great idea you yeah. know, you, now that you down. mention it i, I think he would be interested in that good idea so uh jacob had the brilliant idea now i don't know how smart it is we should set up a, a campaign scott lewis for mayor in like 2060 <laughs> and just go through the process and see how it works to make something like that happen. Mm-hmm. And, we should, and how we should far make into it... the future you can actually create a committee and raise money from current sources. Well, we we don't we don't want to expose you to the dark crystal of influence, and so maybe let's find some more small potatoes position. We don't have elected dog catchers here, but something like that. <laughs> City attorney. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And then you have until 2060 to become an attorney. Uh, so, watch this race. It's going to be interesting. There are some distinctions in the candidates. Obviously, different experiences uh, and different future plans as well. So, I'll be following that. You can always follow all the things about local politics at vsd.org/scott. That's vsd.org/scott, where the politics report, which is going to be open for a while, uh, uh, you can only get it if you're a paying member in email, um, but you can get a taste of it for a little while mm. on the actual website. Nice, real good drug dealer tactic, right? <laughs> get a little taste, get yeah. them hooked, exactly, and then they'll come back for more. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast recorded in greater Little Italy, downtown San Diego. I'm Scott Lewis, CEO and editor-in-chief at Voice San Diego. Andrea Lopez Villafania is managing editor. Jacob McQuinney is our education reporter. Nate John is our producer. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.